0: Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80, the zone. It is a much better morning in Milwaukee this morning. Yes, the Bucks did it. They won game three. And now, to get a couple days off, rest up. We're just going to see starters playing huge minutes in this series. There is no reason not to play starters huge minutes in this series at this point. They had uh, f- they had Friday and Saturday off to get ready for that Sunday game. They've now got Monday and Tuesday off to get ready for the Wednesday game. Then they'll get Thursday off and Friday off to get ready for Game 5 on Saturday because now we know that's set for sure. It's uh, This is a very slow, <laughs> very slow pace for the NBA Finals. So we ought to just see more starters play Big Minutes. Minutes. And who played bigger minutes than Giannis Antetokounmpo? Really good. You're a two-time NBA MVP. You've gotten your team to the finals for the first time. And came up big in Game 2 and it wasn't enough. Came up big in Game 3 and it was enough. And uh, the 41 points and 13 rebounds just jumps out at you. But Antetokounmpo's numbers in Game 3 looked a lot like the numbers in Game 2. And obviously, they lost Game Two decisively, and they won Game Three comfortably. I thought the fourth quarter was basically garbage time. Uh, I mean, there was a chance something could have happened, but it just didn't seem realistic. And at no point did I ever feel like the Suns had a run going that was going to win the game or, or really even make it interesting. The fourth quarter was just—it uh, was garbage time. The the uh, the two key stretches in the game, the Bucks. Ending the first half on a ten-zero run and ending the third quarter on a sixteen-zero run. And if this was a fight, you know the first one was a left jab that rocked somebody, and then the, other, the second was this big right cross that finished it. It was over. That was the knockout punch. Uh, and you could argue that it was um, that that run at the end of the half. It was thirty to nine and the half and ten nothing. So you're on a twenty to nine run. And then yeah, stack a ten o on top of it. The the Bucks are actually down, and I wondered, okay, are they going to get this done or not? As we got in, you know, early into the second quarter, there, uh, when we're going to see going to see a run out of them, see a spark, and then sure enough, there it was. And Anto Campbell was good, and I thought the others just kind of filled in, which I, I think for Milwaukee is actually the best case scenario. Why have Middleton have the big thirty point game when you already won by twenty, right? You didn't need it. I think Middleton is still due a big game. Maybe the Suns will just shut them down this whole tournament or the whole. Uh, uh, series. Um, But you would think Holiday would go off at some point. You definitely expect, I expect Middleton to go off at some point. And they were steady. You know, Middleton, I thought, was really good in the second quarter. Gave him a big scoring punch there. And I thought Holiday had a good run there in the third quarter. Got it rolling. Hit some big shots. Hit a couple of step-back threes. Um, But I think if you go away from the scoring, uh, a couple things. Um, The Suns were not disruptive on defense. Uh, they were not the aggressor they did not force a lot of steals the bucks were comfortable they got where they wanted to go and they didn't really turn the ball over in the process it was pretty easy to get where they wanted to go uh, I think at the end of the third quarter the turnovers like 13 to 8 or maybe 6, something like that. I mean, that's just not very many turnovers at all. And, you know, turn, turnovers aren't the end-all, be-all. And more, some turnovers are worse than others, certainly. You know, you turn the ball over at the top of the key, it's probably a layup or dunk going the other way. You uh, you take a charge or you throw the ball out of bounds, you know, it's a turnover. But at least you get to set your defense up. But the fact is, when you turn the ball over, you average zero points per possession. So this are still not good. Um, but the Bucks just... Just got on a roll, and then the other thing was the second shots because offensive rebounds. Again, I think it tightened up a little later in the game, but after three quarters, there was eleven offensive rebounds for the Bucks and three for the Suns. You're not getting enough second shots, and they're getting too many and second shots you know they tend to come in in two varieties and they're both awesome one you're just you're right at the rim and you're getting a follow dunk or a tip in or something you're gonna get a high percentage of those and then the other is to get the offensive rebound and you know it's a little bit of a scramble and everybody's fighting for the ball if you get it you kick it out you probably have an open three-point shooter and those are deadly right the feet are set you're not on the move you get a good look Um, the pass is usually coming from the basket so you're usually already squared up to the rim I mean, really, for a three-point shooter, it's kind of a dream. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that off an offensive rebound. Absolutely. So, the Bucks win, and it doesn't mean much if the Suns win game four, right? Because then they just go home and close it out in five. And I mean, yes, the Suns fans want to sweep, but if you told a Suns fan that they're going to win at five and have a chance to win it at home, I mean, they'll probably have what the Bucks had last night, right? The sellout crowd and then thousands outside the arena. If I were the Suns, I'd set something up like that. The problem in Phoenix is it's so early and it's so hot. That's the only thing that could prevent that. Uh, so, maybe people wouldn't want to be out there, but they'll be on the streets if they win, right? Um, so why not do it at home if you have a chance? So the Suns, it's not like they're in a bad spot, but obviously Milwaukee's in a much better spot because 3-0, nobody's come back. Nobody in NBA history has come back from an 0-3 deficit. So Milwaukee avoids that, and now they got a couple of days to rest up, and they can just keep playing. I think both teams can just keep playing their starters 40 minutes. Play them the big minutes, right? So why not at this point? Um, the games are coming, you like to say the games are coming fast and furiously. No, they're coming very slowly, every third day <laughs> for games. There was only two days between games, one and two, but three game, three days for games, three, four, and five. so and then, of course, there's the Olympic team. They can't wait. They don't want a long series. they they got three guys, a quarter of the team are in the NBA Finals. Uh, Booker and uh, Middleton and Holiday. And and the U.S. Olympic team losing to Nigeria. F.K. Udo, former jazz guy. Mione, current jazz guy. Not good. I mean, I know it's just an exhibition game and the other team's been together three weeks and you've been together a few days. But still not good. Not good. We'll get to that later in the show. All right, more to come. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone
1: playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network.
0: And PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Utah Jazz have big offseason decisions to make. So do other teams around the NBA. We had David Locke on on Friday to talk about the Mike Conley sweepstakes and the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes. And you hear Locke talk about how at least a quarter, maybe a third of the league is going to swap out starting point guards. It's going to be a huge game of musical chairs. You'll also hear David make a couple references uh, to the NBA Finals, which obviously when we had him on, it was 2-0 Suns at that point. Uh, here's David Locke on the Jazz Offseason with PK on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. David, good morning. Hello, David. How are you? Good. What's the best thing going on in your world? The best thing going on in my world, probably this show. Okay.
2: That includes Patrick, you know.
0: And Jake, and you, the
2: whole day. I know, day. but j- just particularly. PK, how are you?
3: Oh, man, I'm great.
2: What's the best thing going on in your world?
0: My health. I like it. So, David, the question now of the day should it be the jazz in the sun's shoes right now? <laughs>
2: I'm actually gonna just tip my hat to the Suns at this point. They've been great. They just keep getting better every playoff series. They made every shot imaginable last night. I thought they were. Wa- I thought the first two games of this series were the two best games I've ever seen them play. I thought they've been wildly impressive. Um, they're without weakness. They don't roll anyone out there. They, you know, they, they check all the boxes. My, you know, one of my big boxes is you got to have 240 minutes of basketball. In other words, 48 times five. Every guy that gets out there has got to be able to play and bring it and be without weakness. They don't really – like, there's not a lot of guys to go hunt defensively. They don't have tremendous weakness. Um, they they really move the basketball beautifully. Booker and Chris Paul have a great feel of when it is to, their time compared to when it's time to swing. Um, DeAndre Ayton's defense, which, you know, 24 months ago, was like the laughing stock of the league, maybe even – more recently, than that, actually, pretty dang good, man. When he's like the one man wall, and Giannis is coming at him, he's been good. Um, they've got shooters galore; they're good. So, I mean, I guess you could say that. And maybe we would have beat him. We were pretty good too, but they've just been so good. I, I don't, I don't think it's appropriate to make comments that would, whether you mean it to be or not, would definitely be degrading what they've accomplished.
3: You see a lot of similarities, though, with the Jazz.
2: Um, some, um, they both move it really well. They both are loaded with shooters.
3: Um,
2: Chris Paul's a unique talent that we don't have. I mean, there's just like the last player in my mind that was like Chris Paul is, is probably John Stockton. And then Chris Paul's, if Chris Paul wins this, you know, he changes, he, he actually, I probably guess he'll go down, you know, unfortunately above John in the history of point guards. If he, if he had the title, um he's just doing, you know, a little bit more scoring than John ever did and then wins a the title. That's a that's a big deal. Um, but he's the only one since John I've seen who kind of controls the game in that same fashion. Kid did, but he just couldn't shoot. All right. So it didn't have the same impact. Um so Chris Paul's just such a tremendous force. That's where I think the comparisons between us stop. Mike's really good, but you know, there's Chris is different.
0: Yeah. David Locke joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone with uh, Dennis Lindsay no longer calling the shots day-to-day. Justin Zanuck is. Is there a big difference in their basketball philosophy? I mean, they're working together, so I wouldn't think there's a lot. But everybody's a little different. So I'm just wondering, in these off-season personnel moves, draft trades, free agency, whatever, is there going to be a slightly different spin, a slightly different look we're not used to?
2: So I don't think there's a big difference in their basketball minds. I think from everything I've ever talked to either of them or heard from other people, they were pretty in line with things. The only difference that I think might exist, and, um, you know, let me, can I say, like, I know it's hard, like, because you say something gets quoted, and then it's like it's 100%. Like, this is just a thought. Like, it's not a... I don't, you know, if I, if I say this and then Justin were to pick up the phone and call me and go, I don't think that's accurate. I'd be like, okay, yeah, you're totally right. Like, so there's, I don't say this with like an abundance of confidence. Um, Dennis to me kind of wanted a lot of different people's points of view and wanted a lot of conversation about things and, um, you know, kind of would line everything to all uh, just essence of prep hours of preparation And then, I don't know what the right word is, he was always ready to act, but let's say maybe there was a passivity to that, like, he's ready to act, but the world's got to open up for him, and then he acted, right, if that makes sense? Whereas my vibe with Justin is that Justin's going to, like, open the door to go act. Does that make sense?
3: Explain that a little bit more. I don't know
2: if I can, because... It's, it's Are not you so saying Justin's so going
3: to be aggressive? Li- uh, I was
0: going to say, is Justin a little more aggressive? Is that what you're getting at? No, I'm trying to not say that, actually, no. because I think that would imply that Dennis wasn't aggressive. But,
2: I mean, maybe maybe just a little bit more, you know, like I feel like Justin might be forced some things or be a little bit more forceful, maybe. I don't know.
3: So make that's a decision per- and go with personalities. it. Say that again? Make a decision and go with it.
2: Yeah, a little bit more forceful, right? Like, um, you know, that's how Justin... And Justin's the same preparation. He's a lawyer, so, like, the whole preparation thing is right up his alley. And um, so, I mean, he's definitely... And that that would be... And maybe that's just reading their personalities a little bit. Like, um, you know, I, I guess... Uh, this probably isn't the greatest way to say it. Like, I kind of feel like if Justin made him, Justin would like make a decision from just his personality. I'm with him. And if it doesn't go right, he'd be like, okay, that's fine. Cause my decision was based in the right things. And I totally believed in what I was doing and that's good. Like, fine. I'm willing to make a mistake. Um, where Dennis had more to me, of like that Obama analytical, like let's investigate every single angle of yeah, more everything. Deliberate. Yeah and let's make sure we have every base covered. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that either of them's right or wrong. I just right. think those are their per- – and I'm not even actually – and actually, let me clarify, I have no track record to show that that's how either of them would act with trades. That's their personalities that I've been around.
3: <laughs> well, moves get done no matter who is in charge, and that's just the way of the world in, in pro sports, particularly in the NBA. Very rarely is a team uh, – bra- 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 brought back in its entirety and so we expect some moves here Uh, i listened to a lot of your stuff that you do on your own you had a number of uh players that you were throwing out there um, as far as uh, you were just sort of throwing them out there you weren't necessarily saying that the jazz are in line to acquire these players but rather than focus on the specific players, and I got the point that you were making in the in the thing that you did the other day—I think it was yesterday—you were talking about whether it's Harrison Barnes or whatnot. Uh, what has to happen for this team to improve next year? I mean, that's the bottom line.
2: Um. So, I mean, I, I actually still think our two best players are young enough that there's natural growth. Sure, that's part okay. of it, yeah. Um, and, but, and then, but then I would say the core other, the next tier of guys are all old enough that they should decline a little bit. Like Joe and Mike haven't shown any signs of it, but it's like at some point here this does, you do slow down. Like you're on the wrong side of this math game. Um, Joe has shown no signs of it at all impressively. Um and nor has Mike. So if you're able to, you know, bring Mike back, um, you know, I think continuity does help though. I get nervous with that. I frankly, um, I, I, I think in this year, particularly continuity was, um, vitally important and why the jazz had such success with the short practice times, and everything else. Otherwise I sometimes, I'm actually not the biggest believer in continuity, not in the sense that you blow it up, but, you know, if I use the Giants and baseball as an example, like when they wanted every other year for that stretch, what they would do is they would bring the same team back a second straight time and then they'd be not very good because it's not the same year. Like it's different. Everyone's contract is different. Everyone's talked to different people in the offseason. Everyone's a year older. Like you're not the same. And, um, and frankly, from the jazz standpoint, the um, Alec Burks, was it Kyle Korver for Alec Burks trade? What happened in Brooklyn when we traded Alec? Like, like, the two times I've been with the Jazz, there have been two moves, two signature moves in Dennis's tenure, were trades. One was trading Alec Burks when we were in Brooklyn, and the other was tra- is waving Jeff Green when we were in Miami. In both cases, there was just kind of a malaise over the team, where I just think they were so comfortable with each other, and the continuity was actually working against them. And the trades sent this message across the bow of like, hey, let's go. Like, if you're not careful, like I know it's fu- I know it's fun. Everyone gets along, and this is all great. But guess what? Actually, you can go. You can go somewhere else. Um, so I sometimes am not always the gr- greatest believer in continuity. I would say, um, we did something interesting last year. I think we paid the most money for any of any team in the league that had six, seven, eight. I kind of think that might've been really smart. Um, but maybe some veteran depth after that, rather than just young depth after that would might be a nice twist. Um, though there's a real value in your luxury tax team of trying to develop young players and having one of them kind of click in. Um, and then, you know, I, I think if there's a way to get some more defensive versatility, you're just seeing teams in the playoffs have to play in so many different manners, and certainly we have one way we're going to play most of the time with Rudy, and Rudy's shown some versatility himself, but we don't have great defensive versatility on the roster right now.
0: David Locke joins us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let me, ask you, let me ask you
2: guys a question that I've had
0: all week. What?
2: You're the Miami Heat. The Dallas Mavericks or the New
0: York Knicks? Okay. Wait, give me the teams again. Dallas, Dallas Mavericks. Okay, Miami. New York Knicks, and Knicks. Miami.
2: Okay. Kyle Lowry or Mike Conley?
0: Well, it's musical chairs. I'd go hard after both and see who says yes. I don't know. But you, you're making your first <laughs> offer <to> which one?
3: <laughs> well, they liked Lowry, and they've liked Lowry for a number of years. Who's and, they? Well, jazz. Oh, yeah. Jazz was supposed
2: to close to getting Lowry when they took Rubio. Yes. Um, yes. Least, yeah. That's the story. Now he is I asked if you're Miami. I mean, we don't have the choice, right? We either get Mike Conley or we don't get anything. So I'm asking if you're Miami, Chicago Bulls, or the New York Knicks, or the Dallas Mavericks. So those mm. are the four. I think Chicago is the wild card here. Yeah. Um, which Who would you have on your list first if you're
3: them, Mike Conley or, or for, uh, Kyle Lowry? For each of those teams? Yeah. Uh, Miami, I think I would go with Lowry. Uh, Chicago, I don't know that I'd necessarily be interested in either of them for where, where they are and what they're trying to do, uh, but it's all relative to who else I could get. Uh, so uh, I'd probably go Lowry on all of them.
2: I mean, I think It's worth watching, right? And there's the wild Chris Paul to New York rumor that keeps floating around and it's floated around just enough. And there's a lot of reasons for it that might actually have something to it. So then suddenly you've knocked two of the suitors off the board. Reshining might get better. Um, by the way, on Chicago. If, if Phoenix
0: loses Chris Paul, I don't know their salary cap situation. Do they become a player? Um, interesting.
2: I hadn't looked into it. Quick thought is that DeAndre's Aiton's contract will not have kicked in yet, and so they probably would be a player. Now, whether they are, because um, w- knowing that they have to pay Aiton and Bridges here coming up, and Booker will be maxed, um, it would be another question.
0: There you have 125 million committed next year. Chris Paul has an option for 44, so that would drop them down to 81 million.
2: Yep, then they would. Then they would have some cap space. But yeah. I don't know if they'd be a player just because yeah, of the way I, their roster lines up. I get it, yeah. Aiden, Aiden, um, Aiden the one, the one I think interesting, by the way, just back to Chicago for a second, just the impact of the Phoenix Suns. I think a bunch of the owners in the league are going to be pushing on their GMs hard. Phoenix didn't make the playoffs last year. Nope. And I think this is gonna change the landscape of conversation inside these front offices.
0: And that's I think crazy. you're on, I think you're onto something there. And I think that's why when PK says if he's Chicago, I don't know if you'd be interested. And I think that would be a normal answer in a lot of years, but maybe not the answer if the Suns just added Chris Paul and won the title.
2: Yep. And they just traded for Vucevic at the deadline, and they only have a year and a half left on Zach Levine, or two years left on Zach Levine's deal. So, there, I think they're a major. And they have space, and they don't have a point guard. I think they're a major player out there where they try to go add their their version of Chris Paul, that changes them from, you know, a non-playoff team to, who knows.
3: I think they would have been a playoff team with Rubio this year. Who? Sons.
2: Uh, I don't know the way to get great in this league is to trade Ricky Rubio well
3: they still could have traded him I think they That's I, I got to be it. a
2: joke that was supposed to be funny <laughs> but both Utah and Phoenix like literally got rid of Ricky Rubio and went from being like kind of okay to great
3: but I think Phoenix was the, the arrow was pointing out.
2: Uh yeah I do think Chris Ball's pretty. I mean
3: yeah I mean he's you know, elevated them to the within two games right. of winning the whole thing but right. I, I mean, even without him they, I think they would have made the playoffs
2: I, I'm not sure what I think of Ricky Rubio. I don't want to get into a conversation with Rubio, but I would just say I'm not sure I agree with you. Um, I mean, Phoenix's point guard situation over the last three years, like back to when Igor was the head coach, it's pretty incredible. Like, they went through a year starting Eli Okobo. He's not even in the league anymore. And then they tra- started Ricky Rubio, who I, I, I guess I'll be honest, I just am no longer convinced he's ever been a starting point guard in the league. He was pretty being good for us, but I kind of think Quinn created him. Because when he got to Minnesota, who wasn't very good, he actually, I mean, they have D'Angelo, but he he wasn't very good again last year. Like, at some point, like, there's just never been a player in the history of the league with, who's shot the numbers Ricky Rubio shot and played this amount of games and minutes. Like, at some point, his reputation from Spain has just carried him through. He's just, a, Andy's a great dude, and he plays really hard, and he gets loose balls. But, I mean, at some point, I, I, I'm actually just wavering on that. So I might be wrong, too. But, like, I actually just think what really happened there and this is where i think chicago's interesting parallel is they just had like the worst point guards you could have for the last 5 years and then they went and took the worst and put in like an all you know one of the four or five greats of all time and that it just catapulted them but i just think their point guard play has been so like i look back over the last 5 years of who played point guard and it's it's incredible how much like and to Devin, and to Devin booker's defense who you know took some heat that certainly looks like it was ill-placed now. He was not playing with anyone who had any idea how to play point guard in the NBA. I mean, it's, go back and look at, like, go basketball reference and look at their last five years of point guards. It is, it is incredible.
0: So I want to go back to the whole, you know, what, what is the market for Conley around the league? You mentioned four teams, and everybody will have just seen Chris Paul have this huge impact on the Suns. So even if you value... To go to what you you brought up early in the interview, if you value Lowry over Conley, how long are these teams going to value Lowry over Conley? As soon as they realize there's one Kyle Lowry and there's at least two and maybe three or four teams pursuing him, how quickly are they going hard at their second option? Because it's musical chairs here. And there right. aren't enough it, point guards. So, um,
2: but there also, but there actually may be enough point guards depending on what you, your viewpoint of this. So there's nine point guards that I think are, could start that are going to change teams next year.
0: That's a huge number,
2: <laughs> right? So, um, Dennis Schroeder, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kemba Walker, like there's others. Um, you have to, you know. So Chris Paul obviously is in his own category. Um, And then Kyle Lowry, I think we've kind of decided is probably a tier ahead of Mike Conley, but like only a little. So you're right in regards to musical chairs, but if you could trade for Kemba, I interested if you're signing Spencer Dinwiddie, who's younger and bigger, like what's your thought on that? Dennis Schroeder can really score it. Like there's, and there's three or four others who off the top of my head, of course, are not coming to me right now. And they're not the tier of Conley or Lowry, but you know, if Mike Conley at 33 is going to cost you, I don't know, $28, 30000000 Spencer Dinley's is going to cost you 20 at a younger age and he's bigger, well, maybe you do that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But he's not really a point guard either.
3: Do you think Conley's going to be able to, to command or get that type of money, 28 to $30 million?
2: I do think Phoenix making the finals is going to impact this marketplace a little bit. And I think the... Return to normalcy of society is going to put more pressure on winning on front offices than maybe before. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I—that's just a hypothesis that that I think ownerships are going to be more eager to be good um, than they have been in the past, and there just aren't that many teams that are tanking, frankly. Right, so I think you know, like there's. Two tiers. There's there's eight or nine teams walking around right now that think they should have been the finals. Where we start, you know, that's how we started the conversation, right? Yeah. This is, should Phoenix be Utah? Philadelphia's asking if they should be Milwaukee. Brooklyn's asking if they should be Milwaukee. You know, Boston doesn't probably think they're that far away. Dallas doesn't think they're that far away. Where you know, the Lakers and Clippers are asking the same questions in Denver that we're asking. I mean, that's eleven of the thirty teams right now. Then there's the next tier. And you know Chicago thinks they're a player away. Miami still thinks they're contending for a champion. You know for a possibility. New York doesn't think they're that far away. You know can they get into that tier? So I, I just think the league's in a really different place than we've ever seen, where the talent has dispersed as they hope. There were fewer All Stars per team on the floor this year. It's the fourth fewest All Stars per team on the floor during the playoffs than we've ever had in history of the league. Um, so, so I think there's I think there's a major kind of shift in the league and the impact of the collective bargaining agreement of what six seven years ago is actually being felt here, and and I think you have more teams competing.
0: So with Conley, the question isn't how good is he because when he's healthy, he's really good. The question is how often is he going to be healthy? How often is he going to be available? What can be done differently? And then how much of it is just the, the schedule is going to be different? What can be done differently to make sure he's available for the most important games?
2: I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I got no idea.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <What? laughs> oh, brother.
2: I mean, I'll, I'll go a different angle on Mike Conley. What I think is interesting on Mike Conley's market is there's just so many reasons why I think it can get inflated, which is not great for the Jazz. So for the Jazz, it gets inflated because we really don't have another option. If we don't re-sign him, it's not like we get that gap space and get to fill it. So you suddenly have a real roster-building challenge going on. And, you know, for Chicago, his market value kind of goes through the roof because they have cap money to spend. And if you don't, you know, if you don't spend it, you kind of can There's a little different because they don't have rookies you have to pay to fill the gap. But, you know, for some of the young teams that have, like this is what happened with Atlanta last year, and it turned out okay for them is, They had cap money. If they didn't spend it, it was gone because by the time they'd spend it, then they, if they didn't spend it last summer, then they signed John Collins and Trey Young gets his extension and things like that. And suddenly they don't, they don't actually have their money anymore. Um, so, you know, cap cap room doesn't always roll the next year. So in a bunch of these teams cases, if you don't use it now, like in the case of Dallas, if they don't use it now, then Lucas contract kicks in and they don't actually have it. So then that's, they can't afford to kind of go through this process and not add something right now. And so that adds, you know, even that, add, that inflates the market for that reason. You know, New York's got momentum right now. That might inflate the market for that reason. I think the urgency of ownership to win more coming out of the pandemic, in other words, inflates the market. So those are the things that I think are working against the Jazz or just for the players in the circumstance where I think despite their age, these players may end up with some really good deals and actually longer than you're comfortable with. And then you've got something on the backside you really got to deal with, which is scary.
0: All right, for, David, we, we will leave for, it, the
2: reason, for the reasons you just talked about, that I have no expertise on how to get hamstrings healthy.
0: Yeah. All right, David, we will leave it right there. We appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Okay, talk to you soon. There's David Locke with PKI on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When you come back, Barry Trammell. Parallel lives in a different universe. Well, a different time zone, different state. Barry Trammell writes, uh, in Oklahoma, has for years, covers the Sooners and the Oklahoma State Cowboys. How is name, image, and likeness going to alter college football's power structure, if at all, and also the Thunder in the big rebuild? We'll talk with Barry next. Stay with us.
1: The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA Draft to free agency, and on to the summer league. The Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Barry Trammell, sports columnist for the Oklahoma and NewsOK.com. He joins us on the Smart Rain Guest Line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought currently, and that's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at SmartRain.net. Barry, good morning. Welcome back to the show.
4: Well, thanks, guys. I always enjoyed. Hey, I apologize for missing you an hour ago. I, uh, I had my phone off and didn't know it. And no excuse. I just screwed up. I apologize.
0: <laughs> well, you built up some goodwill here, so I wouldn't worry about it. You can.
4: Well, I was hoping that was the case. That was, uh, that was my hope.
0: So we are curious about multiple things and how things are playing out in a market that's a little different and yet kind of the same. And name, image, and likeness. The gates are open. The land rush has begun. Are the Sooners going to get to the money sooner, I guess is the question. And I, I'm wondering how much – I mean, it's interesting on one level, but the Sooners are at such an elite level. Is it going to change much? Are they going to pry kids away from Clemson and Alabama? Because, again, pretty much everybody else they want and winning nonstop. How much is this uh, impacting the product on the field at Oklahoma, you think?
4: See, I don't think it's going to impact – I don't think it's going to impact the game very much at all across America. Um Alabama's still going to get the cream of the crop, and as you said, the next year down is going to. I don't see where how this is going to change. The only thing I could see is potentially somebody like Oregon. You know, well, you know, there, there are laws or rules in place to keep somebody like Phil Knight from doing too much. But if you can circumvent that, you know, Nike's got the wherewithal to to make an impact. But this this joker down in Miami. Yesterday, who owns some martial arts studios? You know, is going to pay all the hurricanes. I mean, that's not going to. That's not. That's a. That's a lark. I mean, he's not. This guy's not going to pay a half a million dollars a year to for Miami football. So, what we're going to have is we're going to have a big boom, and then we're going to have a big bust. And some some kids will end up on the good end, and some some won't. But I don't think it's going to change, change the food chain of college football at all.
3: Yeah, I probably most likely agree with you. I guess I'd have to see some evidence. But if you're looking for a change in the balance of power, uh, it's more along the lines of the rich get richer, So, which is not changing the balance of power. It's just continuing it. But I am wondering, uh, a kid like uh, Spencer Radler, comes there and you know i grew up in phoenix went to arizona state and he's a local kid and hoping he would stay of course he didn't they normally don't and they take off but he's popular and he's good and all that so what do you think his earning potential could be in college
4: oh you know i think it's it's uh, incredibly high i doubt one of these kids ends up with a million dollars a year but I think there'll be a few that get into six figures. I don't, I don't think there's much doubt about that. I think Zion would have at Duke in basketball, and I think some of these football players will. You know, the boogeyman in people like me's eyes, or my mind, are, are boosters and, you know, sort of traditional forms of uh, car dealers, that kind of thing, traditional forms of paying players. But the truth is, the big money's in this social media, internet stuff, you know, TikTok, YouTube, all that stuff with followers, and um, so that's going to that's going to require a confluence of big name and really adeptness at um, at working the the branding of social media, which some guys have and some don't. Some, some girls have, some don't. I mean, you, you guys have read about those two gals at Fresno State that signed for500,000 dollars or whatever because they got four million followers so um, that, it, it's sort of a it's sort of an unknown frontier for us because we really don't know people like you and me I, you know I'm making assumptions about you guys but I assume you're not you know swimming up to your eyeballs in social media and so I th- it, it, it's sort of an unknown frontier for us but that's where some big money is and that's where you're going to see some surprises. I think you're going to see uh, different kinds of sports. It's not just going to be the Alabama linebacker. It, you know, it's going to be the it's going to be the Florida State softball center fielder, and it's going to be a Nebraska volleyball player, and it's going to be a you know Penn State wrestler. You know, we had a we got a kid up at Oklahoma State, national champion wrestler, got an incredible personality, and within the sport of wrestling, he's like an icon. He signed a he signed a big apparel deal already. Um, ahead of any football player in the state that we can tell, so it's that kind of thing. Sort of the niche markets are really gonna are gonna uh, go after some of these some of these athletes. So I think that's the thing to look out for. Uh, somebody like Spencer Adler clearly has a lot of opportunity. Um, he can do he could do some national brands. I mean he could do some traditional forms of of commercials. Um, endorsements, those kinds of things, but it's that it's that niche social media market that where there's going to be a lot of money to changing hands.
0: So I think I know what you're going to say to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway just to make sure. Because from the football competitive standpoint, is there a chance that an Oklahoma State or a Utah? pulls a recruit away from USC who says, hey, I'd rather be the big man on campus here than the 20th biggest recruit here? Or does a a Tulsa or a Boise State or a San Diego State or whoever pull some away from Utah or Oklahoma State? Is there any of that going on? Or even that is too far-fetched? Or coaches are going to make a run at that to see if it works and nobody's really sure right now?
4: Yeah, I think that's possible. Um... You know, the truth of the matter is, I think you'll see a bigger effect on um, on the transfer portal than maybe high school recruiting, because that's where the bulk of recruiting is shifted to now. For crying out loud, why why go waste your time on a kid you don't know if he can play or not? Why, go waste your time, or go spend your time on a kid you know that can play. So, uh, I I think all those things are possible. I just don't think they're going to be very prevalent. I mean, I think think most players believe they can play at the highest levels. And so, you know, Big Fish, Small Pond is not really sort of in their mentality. They settle for a Tulsa, San Diego State, a Boise State, or, you know, an Oklahoma State instead of an Oklahoma. They settle for those kinds of things but only when they have to. If they have a chance, they tend to just, they tend to go to the big boys. And that's why we don't really see a lot of change in the, you know, in the rankings or in the success rate of most of these schools. And so uh, I'm anxious to see how this all plays out. But I think the movement, I think the change will be sort of glacial. I don't think it'll be very fast moving.
3: Do you think that programs will be able to use it to their advantage, or how much can they use it to their advantage in recruiting, whether it's through high school or transfer?
4: Oh yeah, they're all going they're all going to say it. Um, and some will have all kinds of uh, examples of how why it's true. So we'll see. I don't know if um, you know I, I don't know how much well, here, here's what I don't know. And this is transfers and high school kids. I don't know what priority they will put on financial, wherewithal, and football wherewithal, or whatever sport. In other words, you know if you're a big time football player, you're thinking of the NFL. Now this stuff on the side, this money, whether it's 10,000, whether it's a hundred thousand, that's nice, and that can make you think. But if you see yourself as a big-time football player, you look at the NFL draft, you say, I'm going to Alabama if I get any sliver of a chance. I'm going to LSU if I have any sliver of a chance. You look at that NFL draft list, and I don't know that the priority is going to change much. Um, It could, when they get to college, I suppose, a few players sort of come to the realization they're not headed to the NFL. Most still harbor those dreams, but some are more uh, reasonable in their in their minds. So maybe then they think, you know, maybe, if, maybe I could make some money and, and get my education here if I go to whatever school. But I still think most football players and basketball have stars in their eyes still about making the pros. So I... I, I think it's fascinating. The whole NIL thing, the, the Wild West, it's all fascinating. I just don't see it affecting the, the, uh, the competitive balance. What I wonder about is uh, I'm interested in the chemistry on the rosters. Um, you know, people have asked around here, what happens when Spencer Rattler's making $500,000 a year and the left guard blocking for him making $5,000 a year? Yeah, you know, it, you know, a lot of coaches tell us that's going to be a chemistry problem. You know, in the NFL, a whole lot of minimum wage guys are blocking for Aaron Rodgers and and Ben Roethlisberger and and Tom Brady. They seem to stand up all right, so I don't know that it'll be a problem, but it's going to be interesting.
0: Barry Trammell joining us right here. What's your reaction in Oklahoma to the twelve team playoff? proposal?
4: Um, most people are fired up about it. Um, it's not, you know, it's not a huge, it's great opportunity for an Oklahoma State. It's great opportunity for Utah, for Brigham Young, for virtually everybody. The people it affects the least are the four schools that have been making the playoffs all the years, you know, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson. They've been in. They count is it twenty of the twenty-eight slots in the history of the playoff? I think those four schools have accounted for. So, it would have gotten Oklahoma into the playoff twice extra. Um, So that, and they're okay with that, you know. But (laughs) it's it's not a it's not a game changer for them. Um, But it is a game changer for. You know Wisconsin and um, Georgia. Well, Georgia's have gotten really good, but uh, Florida, for instance, never been in the playoff, but they usually have a really good team. Uh, teams like that, and then the upper and comers that have a chance. Cincinnati, you know, the mid majors. Um, so I think uh, here's the deal. I've always, I've always been a traditionalist, and I've always sort of thought, yeah, I don't really want to get rid of the bowl system. But the truth is the bowls have sort of killed themselves and the bowls have proven to not nobody really cares about them. The players have spoken, they don't really want to play in them if they have a, if they have any pro aspirations. So the only way to save the bowls is to expand the playoff. So, you know, I'm I'm okay with it. I sort of like I I never even thought of a 12-team playoff, but it's fairly ingenious. I don't, I don't have much to pick about it. I sort of like what they've come up with. I like the, I like uh, the attempt to save the bowls with, you know, the quarterfinals on both in both sides. I like. I mean, I'm okay with the home home field advantage in the first round. That'll be some interesting, especially if we can get some SEC teams going to. To Ann Arbor and Madison uh, the second week of December that'll that'll make for uh, interesting television so I'm all for for what I see what I've seen so far I don't see a lot of downside.
3: Changing gears a little bit while we have you on the phone I think Sam Presti just acquired two more first round draft picks for the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, what have they got uh, three they've already made a, a move with uh, Kemba Walker. What's going to play? How do you think it's going to play out in terms of their rebuild here in the short term?
4: Well, they got, you know, they got just horrible lottery luck. They had a 25% chance at two top five picks. They had a 50%, 50% chance at one top five pick. They ended up with no top five picks in a draft that everybody said is uh, a five-player draft. Well, bad luck. So you got to do something else. Presty, no doubt, will is not through trading. He'll trade draft night. There'll be some trades with the Thunder. I expect them to try to move up. You know, try to package six and sixteen and go to four or something. You know, whatever they can do. Uh, Kimber Walker could be involved in that if somebody would willing to take a flyer on him. So they're not through um, the the lottery misfortune just sort of delays the rebuild. But the truth is, and, and people in Utah know this better than anybody, it, it, it's double fool's gold to rely on the lottery too much for two reasons. One, it's a lottery. It's designed for most people to lose. So, you know, if you feel bad about losing a lottery, you know, you're not very smart, really. So number two is... The uh, the draft very rarely goes in linear form. Um, if you get stuck with the 6, 16, and 18 draft picks, hey, go out and find good players at 6, 16, and 18. Utah had, uh, you know, Utah had the best uh, record in the league this year, building around two guys. What, what was Donovan? Number 13 overall, I think, or
3: yeah, 13 like
4: or God. 14? Yeah. And, and Gobert, 27? Go find your two ball players at 13 and 27, or six and 16 and 18. Go find two players. Don't don't sit and wallow. Um, people rely too much on the lottery. You know, I I equate it to marriage. You know, uh, people spend way too much time on their wedding and not near enough time on their marriage. And people in the NBA spend way too much time worrying about the lottery and not near enough time worrying about the draft. Doesn't matter where you get picked. Or, or what what picks you're given, use those picks wisely, and you'll be ahead of the game. So that's what Presty needs to do. Um, he's got some things to build around. Shea Gilgis Alexander clearly is a star, and Lou Dort is a is a building piece. They got all those draft picks. You can't use them. You know, they've got 18 or seven, whatever it is, 17 or 18 draft picks. First round in the in the next seven drafts, counting this one. You can't use all those draft picks, so use some of them to trade up or trade out. Trade, you know, do some wheeling and Dilly, and maybe you end up with a good roster.
0: Well, Barry, as always, we appreciate a few minutes, multiple topics, but uh, Oklahoma and Utah are linked, so it's interesting to hear your take on uh, how things are playing out there. Thanks for coming on, and we will uh, talk to you again down the road. Okay, see you guys. There's Barry Trammell. Love having him on to talk all things Oklahoma. There are a surprising number of parallels between the Utah sports scene and the Oklahoma sports scene. An NBA team and two rival colleges. Right there. All right, thanks to Barry for coming on. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.